Baptist Podcast. Today, special guest Don Curry will be sitting in for Pastor Dave. Ought to be a great sermon. Afterwards, check out our website. A lot of information can be had there at HopeBaptist.org, including information about the restart of our small groups starting on March 4th, 9 a.m. Groups for every person and every kind of person. Also, March 16th and 17th, the CMA rally will be coming up, which is the Christian Motorcyclists Association, right here at Houghton Baptist. Doors open at 4 p.m., March 16th and 17th. If you haven't been to our church, check us out. Come as you are. We do. Enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Father God, as we meditate on your word, we trust your Holy Spirit to reveal the Lord Jesus to our hearts. Uh, meet us where we are, take us where you'd have us, instruct us by your Spirit. We thank you in advance, in the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Um, if I look a little off, I'm having a little problem with dizziness. I'm perfectly fine, so don't don't be alarmed. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, recently Pastor Dave's been doing that great series on the uh, life of David, and um, I liked one of the announcements that was up recently. It said the uh, life of David, uh, messy spirituality, and. Uh, I know about my life. I think most of you probably have to agree. In reality, our spirituality sometimes can get kind of messy. Um, I'm not going to speak about a David this morning, but I am going to speak about another Bible character, uh, Naomi, in the book of Ruth, uh, whose life might also be described as messy spirituality. Um, and how the mighty grace of God was manifested in her life, just as it was in in King David's. Uh, for the lost sinner, uh, the gospel is good news indeed. No matter what your sin, no matter what you've been into, when you turn to Christ in repentance and faith, your sins are cleansed. And you're credited with the righteousness of Christ. Uh, That is so awesome. Can it get better than that? Yes, it can. Uh, Praise God, it can. It's a great day when God dawns it upon the believer's heart that the gospel is also for the saved sinner as well. We get saved by grace. We stay saved by grace. And... You, you can't live the Christian life on your own power any more than you can get saved by your own righteousness. Amen. Um, if there's anyone here today who's not trusted Christ as Savior, please don't leave here today without making that eternal transaction. But today I'm primarily speaking to those who have already trusted Christ as Savior. Uh, you who, like myself, are saved sinners. Have you ever faced a dilemma and instead of looking to God for help, you've taken things into your own hands and attempted to solve things the way the world does? 
Um, don't raise your hand. I'll do it for you. I I know I have. I I don't. Know, I didn't plan on this. I'll throw it in there. Any of you know me for a while. Probably heard this story. You know, I'm retired from a career in the Navy, and every time it was time for orders to go to a new duty station, a new ship. I really did trust God that he could work with some unsaved sailor in Washington and who would direct me to where God wanted me. And one place, I'm ashamed to admit this, but this is messy spirituality, a fellow deacon at my church also happened to make my captain. And that connection... I can get my hands on the process and go where I want to go this time. (laughs) And so I did. Um, Out of the many different places I was at around the world, um, you want to guess which tour of duty was the hands down worst of my career? (laughs) You got it. That was it. So I learned my lesson. um, And Naomi learned a, a similar lesson. Uh, you know, we're, we're so often tempted when we're in a crisis not to look to God. You know, maybe it's tax time. Maybe your tax bill is bigger than what you can pay. And maybe you're cheat, tempted to cheat on your income taxes. But, of course, you know, that's the way the world does things, the way they solve problems. Or maybe your marriage is in crisis and seems unfixable, and that friendly coworker seems like the answer to happiness. But again, that's the way the world solves problems. And just maybe you're being just overwhelmed in general, and it seems like it would be a good idea to resort to drugs or alcohol or pornography, but once again, that's the way the world solves problems. The point is, is anytime you walk by sight instead of by faith, which we're called to do, the results are never what you expect. And then you're in a worse mess. And you find it to be far harder and take far longer and be more costly than you ever imagined to get back to where you started from when you first trusted Christ. And you know, that's when the enemy comes up and he whispers in your ear. And I'm not going to ask if he's done this to you. I'll raise my hand. Uh, You can't go back. You can't go back. God's done with you. No hope of redemption for you. You've blown it. Um, I've sung from that hymn no more than once. And of course, That's just a lie from the father of lies. What I'm here to tell you this morning is you can go back. You can go back. If you're away from God right now, you can go back. That's why I I like that line, you know, in the song, Come to the altar. The father's arms are open wide. Um, There is great hope. There is redemption. And God is waiting. He's waiting with his arms open to help you the moment, the moment you turn your heart to go back to him. Um, So today I want to look in the book of Ruth, as I said, and we're going to focus not on Ruth here, but on her mother-in-law, Naomi. 
uh, the book of Ruth, it's, you know, it's just uh, four short chapters. It's a great love story. I mean, who doesn't like a good love story? Um, but greater still in this that I'm going to focus on this morning is the message of redemption for the saved sinner. Um, in this story, Naomi and her husband Elimelech take a walk by sight instead of by faith. And she found herself far from the will of God, but not far from the grace of God. And like us, she found that getting back to where she started was far harder and more costly than she ever imagined. But she also found that the provision of God and His grace to be far greater than she ever imagined as well. Uh, Just a little background, the book of Ruth you know, comes after, you can go ahead and turn there, uh, we're going to be reading from it in a minute, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Um, it comes after the Judges, but chronologically it took place during the middle of the time of the Judges. Uh, it was a dark time, it was 350 years of God's chastening of Israel because of their rebellion, and God chastened them using their pagan enemies that surrounded them. Um, all the ites, I call them, the, the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Edomites and the Moabites and Canaanites and the Philistines. They, they weren't an ite, but they were, they were in the same bad bunch. <laughs> but um, Joshua, I mean, Judges 21-25, the last verse just sums it up. It said, everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. And Unfortunately, that included uh, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech. Uh, But it's this dark background that makes this story shine all the brighter, whether you're looking at uh, uh, the account of Naomi or the account of Ruth, which is, that's a whole other great sermon, so we won't hold that one today. Uh, So turn, if you would, let's read uh, in the first chapter of Ruth. And we're going to uh, start at verse 1 and go through 22, skipping a few in the middle. I'll tell you when to skip. So beginning in verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. Uh, The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Then they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. Uh, The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the women were bereft, I'm sorry, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters in law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. This was back in Bethlehem. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, 
uh, return each of you to your uh, to your, her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Uh, now just skip on down to verse 13. And she says, No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. I mean, Orpah went back home as Naomi had encouraged her to. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Remember, they'd been gone 10 years now. And Naomi said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call Naomi, Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who had returned from the land of Moab. So we're going to stop there. Uh, Well, as you can see, this idea to move to Moab worked out about as well as a screen door on a submarine. Uh, Here's Naomi. She's in a country which is an enemy of Israel, a pagan nation at that, with no husband, uh, no sons, no welfare, and no respect. And worse still, her sons had married Moabite women, which, you know, was strictly prohibited uh, by the Mosaic law. That's in Deuteronomy 3.7, if anybody wants to uh, read up on that. Uh, But this really complicated the issue of ever going back to Judah. Uh, Naomi's been called the Job of the feminine gender, and like Job, it would seem at this point that she had lost it all. Um, just just a little more background. The origin of Moab explains a lot about the kind of people they were and why they were a pagan nation. Uh, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Lot's two daughters, fearful that there were no more men to give them offspring, um, committed incest with their father. And, um, of course, this worldly way of Solving problems brought some awful fruit. Moab was the issue of the incest between Lot's oldest daughter and himself, and Moab is the father of the Moabites. So Moab just kind of represents the world and its way of solving problems aside from faith. Um, now, since the Moabs, Mo- Moabites were, um, were pagans and enemies of God, uh, Naomi and Elimelech had no business going there uh, in time of famine, even if the, the fields were greener. 
Um, now, here's the really funny part. According to the record in verse 1, Naomi and Elimelech left Bethlehem because of the famine. Well, do you know what Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. <laughs> uh, Bethlehem is a, is a picture of the Lord Jesus himself as our all-sufficient Savior and provider. You remember Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Um, and that's what's being pictured here. Do you think that if Naomi and Elimelech had looked to God in faith in the midst of that famine, that God would have provided the right there in Bethlehem? I, I think that he would have. God did that for King David. In Psalm uh, 37, verse 25, David says, I have been young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And uh, likewise, I'm sure you're familiar with the story in 1 Kings 17 where Elijah uh, asked the widow in, there in Zarephath to take her last little bit of flour and her last little bit of oil, uh, which she was going to eat and then die. And he says, I want you to take that and make me a loaf of bread, um, which seems outrageous, but... Uh, God had directed that, and she responded in faith. And all through the rest of that famine that was going on there in Zarephath, miraculously, the widow's jar of oil and jar of flour never ran out. So she responded in faith, and God responded in provision. So I think it's correct to say God would have responded to Naomi and Elimelech had they looked to him in faith, but no, they thought it was a better idea to go to Moab and because it was so green there. And of course, the world's promises of happiness and provision are so often a lie, and so it was with, with Naomi and Moab. Uh, it, it must have gotten awfully dry down there, you know, 10 years not being in church. When I was sick back in the fall for a couple of months, I felt like I'd been out of church for years. Uh, imagine being out of church for 10 years. You get pretty dry spiritually. And, you know, when we as Christians get off into our own Moab, it gets pretty dry too. But now the story takes a turn for the better. As you recall there in verse 6, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. Uh, that can sound a little confusing. She heard the word in Moab that God had provided with food back in Bethlehem. Um, and the point here is it's the word of fullness of provision in the Lord back in Bethlehem that got her attention, that caused her to turn her eyes back toward Bethlehem. In our case, that would be back toward Christ. Um, and, you know, it's the same way with us when um, when we're away from the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. <sighs> you, you know, you're always miserable. And... God sends somebody into your life that just radiates the joy of the Lord. <laughs> and you're going, oh, well, you know, it's, <laughs> that's what I need and that's what I don't have. 
And that's what causes us to turn our eyes back toward Bethlehem, back toward fullness. You know, God's so gracious, He never forces our will. Um, I'm a believer in free will, but that said, God has this wonderful way of pushing us with emptiness and pulling us with fullness. Or stated another way, pushing us with troubles and pulling us with His love. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing here is in the story is when you read the record in the beginning, it looks like she went out from Bethlehem empty because of the famine. You know, and if you'd ask her 10 years ago, why are you leaving Bethlehem? She would have said, well, duh, there's a famine on, you know. But after 10 years in Moab... She changes her story. Look down at verse 21. She's come back to Bethlehem now. And she says to the people that greeted her, she says, I went out full. Wait a minute. I thought you went out empty because of the famine. She says, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? That's a 180-degree flip-flop. What in the world was it that she learned in Moab during that 10 years to make her change her testimony like that? What could she have learned that changed, I went out empty, and 10 years later her testimony becomes, I went out full? Well, for one thing, I think she learned the spiritual meaning of full and empty uh, she learned that, and this is the application for us, she learned that there's no fullness outside the house of bread, outside Bethlehem. In other words, when you get away from Christ and you get into whatever that promised fullness, you don't. You, you don't find fullness. You just find emptiness. Um and so she learned that, that there's no fullness outside Bethlehem, outside the house of bread, because, like I'm saying, Christ, Bethlehem here represents the bread of life, Christ. And, and she learned also that even in famine, that being in the house of bread can be fullness. Have you ever had that when it just seemed like... There wasn't enough money to pay the bills, and the car was broke, and the baby was sick. But you're where you're supposed to be in the Lord, and you're trusting Him, and everything is okay, and you know that. That's what I mean by you can find fullness even in the midst of famine. James 1-2 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Uh, If you're away from the Lord, various trials are emptiness. If you're where you're supposed to be with the Lord, those trials can still be fullness. Uh, every Christian starts here with fullness in Bethlehem. People get saved. They have fullness in Christ. And then one day the shine wears off and a little testing and some troubles come along. And then our heart begins to call fullness emptiness and we run off to seek fullness in the world. And we often leave Bethlehem and go to Moab just like the prodigal son did. Um, 
Let me ask you something. Why did the prodigal son, jumping off to a different story, but it applies here, why did the prodigal son leave home? What was it he wanted? Well, if I might paraphrase, he wanted respect, he wanted a feast, he wanted a, a fine robe and a ring. And after a long time in the pig pen, he figured out that all those things that he really wanted were back in his father's house all along. And that's the very same lesson that Naomi learned, that she left Bethlehem to go find fullness in Moab. And after 10 years, she realized that the fullness she was looking for was back in Bethlehem the whole time. Um, But here's the wonderful truth. Forget this lie that you can never go back. As soon as you start your way back, to God, as soon as you say, I've had it, there's nothing here in Moab but emptiness, I'm going back to Christ. God is there to help you. I hope you can hear that. God is there to help you because I've had that lie whispered in my ear over and over. Can't go back. Don't bother now. It's a lie. You can, and the father's waiting. You remember in the story of the prodigal son, what did the father do as soon as he saw him? He saw him from afar. He didn't even wait for him to get there. He ran after him with the robe. And no sooner than Naomi had decided to start back to Bethlehem, God provides Ruth. And in Ruth 4, chapter 4, verse 15, it says, describing Ruth, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. And I might add, Ruth, on in the story, we, we can't skip too far ahead here, but Ruth ends up being instrumental in uh, redeeming Naomi. When they left, they had lost the family lands because of of the famine. Uh, And Ruth not only appropriates grace and redemption for herself through Boaz, but she redeemed Naomi and the family lands in the process. Boaz, by the way, is a picture or a type of Christ. In other words, he illustrates a truth about Christ to us. And that's very instrumental in understanding the rest of what's in this story. But back, back to the story here. Uh, note the name change that Naomi calls for there in, in chapter 1, verse 20. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. You know, Naomi means sweet. Mara means bitter. And here's the amazing thing. Don't, don't miss the wonder of this. And while I'm rambling, this is, this is important. Naomi's learned a hard lesson. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. But in spite of this, in spite of this, here in verse 20 and 21, Naomi uses a very special name for God. It's just interpreted Almighty in the English. But in the Hebrew, that name is El Shaddai. And, you know, God has different names which highlight different aspects of his character. And in all the history books, this is the only place it's found here and in Job. And in Job, it's found, I think, like 30-something times. There's a big parallel between Naomi and Job, but for a real, the same reason. El Shaddai means the God who is more than enough. In other words, no matter what kind of trouble you're in, 
away from God, with God, enough money, not enough money, sickness, health, in jail, out of jail, no matter. God is a God who's longing and willing to show you that he is more than enough all by himself. And I can tell you from my own experience, sometimes you have to spend a good bit of time on your knees in prayer before he can don that on your heart. But I can testify personally, no matter what you're going through, God is a God who he himself is more than enough. Thank you. Um, It's so odd that Naomi left Bethlehem the house of bread to find fullness in Moab, but she only found emptiness. And now she's back in Bethlehem, and even with nothing, she calls God the one who is more than enough. She's busted flat. The only thing they can do for food, she sends Ruth out to go gleaning in the fields, and yet she calls God the one who is more than enough. Do you see the lesson she's learned there? And it's a valuable one. She's lost a lot, but she's gained something that's priceless. And that's a revelation in her heart that God is the one who is more than enough. The story gets better. She gets redeemed, and they're rolling in wealth before the story's over. But uh, at this point, God alone is more than enough. So faithful to bring us back to that place of fullness. You see, all that suffering in Moab... It was designed by God to show her that, to show her that he was more than enough. And you might, maybe you're away from God, and you feel like God's waiting with a rod to strike you down because you're away from Bethlehem. And really what's going on, he's engineering everything in your situation to bring you to the place where you will know that God is the one who is more than enough. And here's the, here's the great part. Once Naomi found God to be El Shaddai, then, then the story turns, and at that point, she becomes part of the story that brought Christ to the world. How so? Naomi's daughter-in-law marries Boaz, the wealthy landowner, uh, and this, this couldn't have been uh, possible, this redemption couldn't have been possible unless Boaz had not been a distant relative of Naomi. But Ruth marries Boaz. Boaz redeems Ruth and Naomi. Um, Boaz and Ruth then have a child, Obed, who has a child, Jesse, who has a child, King David, and as you know, King David is in the direct line of Christ and rules on the throne of Christ. So it's literal to say that God used Naomi to bring Christ to the world. And uh, and this is what's so incredible about it, that God can use our Moab, our huge mess up, and turn it into a blessing. He, God took Naomi's tragic detour to Moab, and out of that made her part of the story that brought Christ to the world. 
Isn't that amazing that God can do that? See, the sovereignty of God can overrule our sin. He not only forgives our sin, but He can overrule it. And He can take the years that the locust ate, so to speak, and turn that curse into a blessing and accomplish His purposes through it. That's what takes place in this story. And if you've slept through the whole thing, Listen to this and take this home with you. You can't change your past, but you can, praise God, touch a present Savior who can overrule your past. No Christian ever needs to be a victim of his past. Uh, You may not have a perfect past, but brothers and sisters in Christ, you can have a perfect peace about your past. Ruth wasn't the will of God for Malon. He wasn't supposed to have married a Moabite girl. But once Naomi turned back to Christ, Ruth became the will of God. And Moab is not the will of God in your life either. But it can become, your Moab can become the will of God once you turn back to Christ. You see, some Christians get so wrapped around the axle of get they get off track and they go, oh, I'm out of God's will. I can never get back in God's will. God only has one will, brothers and sisters, and it's perfect. It's perfect. And at any one moment in time, when you turn your heart back to Christ and purpose to keep yourself pointed to Bethlehem, You are in the perfect will of God. And whatever has transpired, God will turn that curse into a blessing and he'll make it part of his will. That's not a reason to go there. It's just the marvelous grace of God at work. Uh, You know, we would expect the Bible to say, uh, throw Ruth out and then I'll bless you. You know, she was part of those old Moabite years. Um, But when we turn back to Christ, God takes us right where we're at. And he begins to restore us to wholeness. Things won't be the way they were in every respect. Naomi didn't get her husband and sons back. But we can still find redemption and fullness. And I mean fullness where you say it is enough. My cup is full. Um, And when you reach that point, when God dawns that revelation on your heart, that he is the one who is more than enough, then God can use you to bring Christ to the world, just like he did Naomi. So praise God for his grace. Amen. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Houghton Baptist Podcast. We appreciate your support. And speaking of support, there's a lot of different ways you can support Houghton Baptist in addition to the traditional way of giving your tithe or check at church. We have online giving on our website at HoughtonBaptist.org, and we also have text giving. If you're interested in text giving, just dial 906-346-1317 and follow the information from there. Easy peasy. If you're looking for a church or you're just not sure what church is all about, why don't you stop by Houghton Baptist Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Be there. Come as you are. We do. Have a great day.